You're listening to the Faith Made Welcome podcast, a progressive podcast of faith where we look at Christianity from a progressive Baptist tradition. This podcast is brought to you by Commonwealth Baptist Church in Alexandria, Virginia. So whoever you are, wherever you are, or whatever you think about faith, you're welcome here. Please let us know what you think about our podcast by subscribing to it or by sharing it with someone who may be looking for a podcast like this. And we would love to hear your feedback. So please leave us a comment or question on Facebook, YouTube, or Twitter. Let's get started. Alrighty, so here we go. Week three of the Faith Made Welcome podcast. And we have kind of a different composition of humans in the room today. Uh, So who do we have here? I am back. I am Pastor Robin, one of the pastors of Commonwealth Baptist Church. Uh Uh-huh. And coming to us live through Zoom, we have... (laughs) I am Kelly Wool, she, her pronouns, and I am a member at Commonwealth Baptist, especially in the the singing category. Do a lot of singing. Yes. So if you listen to our services online, you often can hear and see the wonderful Kelly singing. Um, And I'm Sherry Spiegel, and as a love gift to the church, I don't sing aloud. In any (laughs) setting. (laughs) Um, So I'm back as well. Uh, We're giving Marty a week off, so we'll miss him, uh, but we'll get him back on the podcast soon. Um, So today we are continuing our service, our our study of the sermon series um, with our activist preachers. Uh, So who do we have on this week as our activist guest preacher? So reading through the bio of Reverend Melissa McQueen Simmons, I just want to be her friend and I'm going to have to go follow her on all the social media when this is over. So a few of the highlights, she's a native of Greensboro, North Carolina, where the Greensboro lunch counter Mm -hmm. sit-in happened, Mm -hmm. Um, an amazing museum if you ever get to visit. Um, She's mother to a charismatic toddler spouse to a beautiful Vondalyn McQueen Simmons. Um, She's a veteran. She is an ordained pastor with the United Church of Christ and a service as a pastor and teacher to many voices, a black church movement for gay and transgender justice, as well as leading the LGBTQ committee for the Charlotte Clergy Coalition for Justice. So very involved in LGBTQ plus activism um, in addition to having a Master of Divinity from Howard University, mm-hmm. DC, local shout out there. That's right. Yeah, local. Woo. Yeah, so we get to hear from her this week. Uh, and what is her answer to the question of what the world needs now? She says that what the world needs now is radical love. Yes, indeed. Yeah. So I'm excited about today because we get to talk about radical love. Uh, and we also get to talk about radical love through the lens of the scripture she chooses, which y'all, <laughs> we're going to songs, <laughs> Song of Solomon today or Song of Songs. It's going to be a party. Um, maybe that's why we scared Marty off. I maybe don't know. So. I don't know. Um, so what do we want to say just to start off? As far as like what her sermon was about, maybe things we got out of that sermon, uh, what were y'all thinking about? I was, 
I was very excited to return to Song of Solomon because these verses in particular, I had two clear like high school memories associated with them. Uh So the first was a beautiful choral arrangement I got to do um, with the lyrics, set me as a seal upon your heart. Hmm. And I went back and listened to it. Amazing music. Um, The arrangement was by Renee Clausen. Would definitely recommend. So on the one hand, I'm remembering this beautiful choral arrangement. Mm-hmm. On the other, I'm remembering growing up in purity culture a little bit, mm-hmm. <laughs> where Song of Solomon was considered the naughty verse. <laughs> yes. But of course, when you're 17, you want to read the naughty <laughs> verse. <laughs> so I had, but then I, I was also like, you know, wanting to do a, to date biblically and like do the right thing. So I had this, this like, fantasy in my mind that I would wait to read Song of Solomon until I got engaged and then we my fiance and I would read it together oh that is so sweet for purity culture (laughs) um so Zach and I did not do that and actually I don't think I've ever returned to Song of Solomon so I'm I'm very excited to go back and I think maybe one of the reasons I stayed away was because of that weird association so it was very cool to dive into it, to realize the potential for one of the only books of the Bible that has a clear female voice. Mm-hmm. That was a take mm-hmm. I hadn't realized. Yep. Yeah. So I I was happy that this uh, kind of redeemed Song of Solomon. Yeah. <laughs> so I have um, officiated multiple weddings where the couple took their vows from mm. – um, the Song of Solomon or Song of Songs, or had, um, there's one passage that's pretty popular to be read at weddings. Mm-hmm. This, I am almost positive, is the first sermon I have ever heard from this book of the Bible. I think mm. that's so fascinating. And I definitely, I don't think I've ever heard a sermon based on it either. In mm-hmm. fact, what I do remember, um, like I'm a hair older than... Uh, Kelly, but still uh, came of age in the middle of the purity culture, right? Um, So I remember being told um, not to read this book of the Bible until I got Mm -hmm. married, which meant, Mm. obviously, I went back to my room, cracked open (laughs) my Bible, and was like, why are you going to give me access to the text and then tell me I can't read it? Um, So I remember reading this uh, probably like on my own the first time when I was like 14, and I'll be honest, I wasn't great at poetry then, so I don't think I got as much out of it as I would have. Well, I mean, a lot of, like, the romantic or sexual language in the book isn't what does it for us today, right? I mean, there's lots of references to, you know, this is like a gazelle or a stag and your hair is very like specific. Your teeth. teeth. There's something about our teeth, right? Our teeth being our teeth. like some sheep. Yeah. It's, it's definitely like your hair is like a herd of goats. And I'm like, oh, thank you for noticing. <laughs> but oh, I'm think... definitely using that on Zach because our last name is Wool. So these, oh, the yeah. sheep metaphors are right there. We're feeding you some lines, Kelly. It's gonna... So it's, it's funny to me that youth pastors today would tell people to stay away from it because it's not like people would be like, ooh, you know, reading it today. But right. I think what we need to re- do remember about this is that this – 
book of the Bible is a series of poems. Yes. Mm-hmm. And as you talked about, Kelly, re, you know, singing a choral piece mm-hmm. from this mm-hmm. song that had been put to music, songs, right? Lyrics to songs are, are poetry. Mm-hmm. And every generation, right, has the songs that their parents, that if you play in the car, right, if they come on the radio, like your parents are going to change the radio station because mm-hmm. they don't want you to hear it or they're not comfortable listening to it with you. Mm-hmm. So, you know, from my generation, those were like Madonna songs, right. Salt and Peppa, and, you know, <laughs> but, and it's different for, for y'all, I'm sure. But it's important, I think, for us to remember that that's what this poetry was when it was written like this was the mm-hmm. dirty stuff this was the dirty stuff but it's but it's in the bible right so yeah. <laughs> robin how did mm-hmm. it get in the bible like what do you know so so all right so you remember a couple weeks ago inquiring mind right like, when we had the passage from ezekiel and i told you that when like the councils got together and mm-hmm. were trying to decide which books should go in the hebrew bible that ezekiel almost didn't make it right? because it was so dark well, this book almost didn't make it, mm-hmm. um, primarily because it never mentions God. Mm-hmm. There's no reference mm-hmm. to God whatsoever. That now, was the answer I was expecting. Right? So what I didn't know, I was always confused about the Song of Songs versus Song of Solomon. Yeah. And so I read a little bit about that this week. And what I got about that is that um, I think in, in Jewish traditions – the book is primarily referred to as Song of Songs. Mm -hmm. Hmm. But it was, most people, a lot of people believe it was written in the time of Solomon. Some people believe it was written by Solomon Hmm. about the Queen of Sheba. Um, And so it was around... Wouldn't that be a little weird? Like, he's like, let me tell you, folks, how much she loved me. Right? Right? It's a little weird. It is. Anyway, okay. Like, I'll be her voice. Right? Like, I'm just going to tell y'all how much she loves me. But go ahead. So I think, if I've got this right, I believe it was when the King James Bible was written Mm. that that's when the name got changed. Okay. And so Song of Solomon is kind of stuck in a lot of Christian culture. But Song of Songs is Jewish culture. Got it. Um, so it almost didn't make the cut because God is never mentioned in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and because it's, you know, a little dirty. It's a little um, dirty. And I would assume that maybe there was also some influence by what Kelly was mentioning, that this is like the book of the Bible, that the primary voice is a woman. And it's mm-hmm. primarily about her experience. Um, but from what I read during this council... There was one particular rabbi that was really like wanting this book in there. And he was able to sway the others and win the vote. And the reason that he wanted it in there is that he saw the book, even though God isn't mentioned in there, as an allegory um, about God's love for Israel. Mm Mm-hmm. And then, of That's course, most of the Old Testament metaphors, right? <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, <laughs> Christians adapt that and put Jesus into the Old Testament. So a lot of Christians will say that this is about Jesus's love. It's an allegory of Jesus's love for the church. Right. And all of that's a little creepy to me. It, it's not my favorite. I, you know, I think I much prefer 
thinking about it, like being like, you know, like look at how good humans created by God have the capacity for different kinds of love. And that's one of the things I like Mm, in the sermon for this week. Like she does such a good job at not just being like, y'all, there's some freaky sex here. She's not focused on that. She's like, there's so many different kinds of love in this little bit of poetry. And so she's able to look at the love that the, the, the woman has, not just for her lover, but also for her, her, her girlfriends that are like rooting for her. Um, you know, it's the love of the community. There's all this different kinds of love. Um, and so I, that probably didn't have anything to do with how it made the cut. But I think it's one of the things that I kind of, because I'm kind of with Kelly, I haven't gone back and really spent a lot of time on this mm-hmm. book. Uh, but going back on it, I'm super excited about what a strong female voice it is and how many cool versions of love it does seem mm-hmm. to show. Yeah, it's not just Jesus talking about how your teeth look like sheep or something. <laughs> I think Jesus probably had better lines. Better lines. <laughs> <laughs> but like that's I, I kind of walk away from this yeah. like, and she loved him despite the fact he said that her hair looked like goats. <laughs> right? Like this is not like. Anyway. I I did love how Reverend McQueen brought it back to, like, there's a verse about being black and beautiful. Mm-hmm. Did y'all yes. learn that in Sunday school? Mm-hmm. They they didn't tell me that in central PA (laughs) that this was a like black is beautiful she said that and I was like oh of course where this was written Mm -hmm. and I had to like check my mental picture of what I had what I had been picturing as the two lovers right Mm -hmm. like what if we open our imagination to who they look like Mm -hmm. because the images that we see of these two lovers are typically quite fair Yes, mm-hmm. particularly like the woman, like, I, I don't know, you feel like Google search friends, um, you'll see a lot of ginger ladies, like pale ginger mm-hmm. ladies. And um, as a person with degrees in English, I'm like, it is, that is textually inaccurate. Like there is evidence yeah. here for a different kind of yeah. lady. Um, and another thing that I think is is disappointing, but worth pointing out to have have things out on the table is that there are some translations that translate that verse. She is black, but beautiful. (gasps) And then there are others that say she is black and beautiful. Um, And it is. Versus like what a, what a difference that makes in terms of how you see your skin, your body. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, and Translation I'm, matters, people. It <laughs> sure does. Well, and I mean, this is one of my, you know, English sometimes is, oh, it's so limited. Well, and conjunctions are weird in Hebrew. Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. that's fair. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. You kind of got like three options for most conjunctions, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. makes translating a little tr- tricky. Okay, that's fair. Yeah. Yeah, I mean. Or biblical Hebrew. Okay. I'm, I'm, it's, I'm sure it's all different now. Yeah. <laughs> Conjunctions but that one is like, Yeah. One of these translations is clearly more loving and affirming of all human bodies. So maybe that one is that, <laughs> not a bad way to go about Hebrew conjunctions. Yeah. It doesn't feel very scholarly, but it's like, if we're not sure, 
why not use the more loving lens if well, it's going to be it, it's the more loving lens, which means it's the better theology, right? Mm-hmm. Right? It's the it's better, healthy theology, and it's important theology for us to see in Scripture mm-hmm. black bodies being called beautiful and being celebrated, and black love. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And sexuality being celebrated and seen as holy. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, and I feel like thinking about her point, uh, you know, that that what the world needs now is radical love. Like, maybe we can think about that as, like, maybe as we think about even just things like biblical translation and which version of the Bible we choose to bring into our faith communities, like... How can we do that with radical love? How can we make sure mm. we're making scripture choices that show radical love? Um, I don't know. It's interesting. I was reading an article uh, by Reverend McQueen Simmons. Um, after I watched her sermon, I was like, I guess I was kind of like you, Kelly. I was like, give me more of this, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I came across an article she had published on Medium um, called traumatic beginnings in the black pentecostal church my journey to healing um wow that's quite a title it's quite a read um but one of the things she talks about in it is like sitting in church listening to these sermons and noticing that she was and i'll quote her she says clearly um i was clearly not the submissive woman being preached about (laughs) and Part of me, like, and that's that's the kind of language that wants me, makes me want more of her, um, because I have that experience myself, like sitting in church, hearing not our church, <laughs> um, hearing these stories about submissive women, and just being like, this doesn't fit with my identity. And so I love having had that experience. That the one opportunity we have to hear from her. Uh, from our digital pulpit, she purposely chooses to preach about a bold woman who is in charge and knows what she wants. And I'm like just rooting for that so Mm -hmm. hard. That resonates so much with me too, Sherry, because um, the Proverbs 31 woman was kind of used as the, well, the best example of biblical womanhood. I think it is an example of one type of biblical womanhood. But I knew right away, I was like, oh man, I'm not going to get up early. I'm just, it's, I'm not, not at the crack of dawn. I'm not going to learn how to sew. Like, (laughs) so it was, it was hard to find female representations in the Bible that I thought I could see myself in. Mm-hmm. Um, because it seemed like things like Proverbs 31 had set me up for failure if I was going to be true to myself. But then you look at the woman in Song of Solomon and yes, she goes after her lover. She mm-hmm. chases him. And like, I I was um, a little bit, it was a little bit impressed upon me that like, you should let the men lead. I don't know if it was ever super explicit when I was growing up. But Zach and I wouldn't be together if I hadn't asked him out on a date because he was an introvert. (laughs) And so I took the initiative 
figured what could it hurt? Worst that happens is we have dinner together and now we're married. Uh-huh. So it's it's exciting to see that l- persistence and living living true to your feelings can be a godly thing too. It's uh-huh. not just the heart is deceitful. The heart can call us to live in better communion with each other and with God. Well, in purity culture, <laughs> you know, told all of us that you know, sex was bad, sex was evil, something sex was something to stay away from, not even think about until you get married and then all of a sudden it's wonderful. As though mm-hmm. anybody can like flip the a switch, switch like that, right? Mm-hmm. That you if you grow up hearing bad, 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 evil, 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 it's hard to flip that switch mm-hmm. uh, and allow something to be wonderful. And this book does that. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. this book is a poem or a collection of poems in the Bible of all places that tells us that passion is good and Mm -hmm. that human sexuality is good and that partnership and delighting in another human being, that all of that is good, Mm -hmm. that it's a gift Mm -hmm. of God. And there there are elements of of this, of um, Song of Solomon that take us back to creation, you know, and in Genesis one, everything that God creates, God says it is good. Mm-hmm. Um, but but here in this book, there's all these images from nature too, right? Yeah. That it's not just about sex. There's all this stuff about like flowers are flourishing, and there's this lush garden, and everything is you know alive and vibrant, and it kind of has the feel of of. Eden almost. Mm-hmm. I don't know that it's supposed to, but it kind of has this feel that that after like the fall in Eden, here we have this relationship between partners and it's a pretty egalitarian relationship, it seems, right? They're mm-hmm. they're wanting each other mm-hmm. and they're both saying what they want. So mm-hmm. open communication, imagine. Right? Yeah. So it's it's almost like it's the story of, of creation being restored or everything, Ooh. all of creation being in harmony mm-hmm. together, which I guess goes back to these different loves, right? Mm-hmm. If there's space for eros and, you know, friendship and self-love, like she talks about, if we can expand that even into to creation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, there's, yeah, there's friendship, there's family, there's like a playful, flirty love, I think. Mm -hmm. And I think we see a lot of that. Um, And that feels very true to, to nature, right? And what we see, like, with the coming of spring Mm -hmm. and such like that. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. I love the nature analogies. I'll say this for growing up in central Pennsylvania, the woods and the fields, it, it looks like the Shire, (laughs) from the beginning of the Lord of the Rings. I think that was part of where my Lord of the Rings obsession began when I was a kid. And we would go ranging all over the woods, climbing rocks, climbing mountains, basically. There was one particularly beautiful view that was very popular for my friends and I to hang out in. And like that was always a way that I connected with God. Mm -hmm. Is there was something about the diversity within nature, the possibility 
the the seasons and the growth kind of coming back to the the everything has a season that if i wanted to talk to god i'd just like go out into the trees mm-hmm. yeah conversation and that's still kind of the way i am if i'm honest <laughs> yeah i mean so i'm here for the imagery so i found i actually found a quote that goes with that that okay. i should read um phyllis treble is a feminist theologian and in her book, um, I'm not sure if it's a book or an essay, in her writing, mm-hmm. God and the Rhetoric of Sexuality, she says that in the song, in this particular song, the woman and the man are in harmony with one another and with the natural world. Brokenness mm. to relationships between humans and between humans and the earth are healed. Mm. Mm. So that's interesting that this love poem is an image of the brokenness between relationships between humans and the mm-hmm. brokenness between humanity and creation, at least for a time, being healed. Mm-hmm. That's um, some eco-theology. Right? Yeah. We yeah. follow this up with a little uh, Ooh, yeah. creation theology discussion. Wait till September. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, I also like like just thinking about like, the the idea of relationships between the humans and like restoring that brokenness i think that there for me there's something really interesting about the fact that this isn't it's not just a love poem between the man and the woman or the two partners or what have you like i'm really interested in this like the collection of women that are there as a big part of this book because i think there's a way that um I don't know. I think growing up, maybe it's because I grew up in purity culture. It's like any discussion of sex needs to happen in like quiet closed doors and everyone should feel shame for it. Um, but that's not what's happening yeah. here. Like we hear, um, we really hear like this, this group of women like rooting for them. Um, mm-hmm. and, and taking delight in their happiness as well. Um, and I think that that's a cool element of the love in this book. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not like, there's no like that petty one friend who's like, ooh, is he really right for you? Mm-hmm. <laughs> or that, <laughs> there's, there's no like, oh, but are y'all waiting for marriage? It's just, it's like, look at this love. Let's like, let's be excited about mm-hmm. love. And I kind of like that. I was also really interested. This is changing tracks slightly. Okay. Didn't know if anyone had anything else to say in that specific topic. But uh, she got me thinking about how we know the feeling of being in love, right? That there's certain emotions and uh, motivations associated with that. What if we translated that to love of neighbor? In the sense of like, when you're in love, there's an urgency, there's a joy, right? Like a just overflowing of excitement and joy of being together. There's relentlessness. Like you are, you would do anything for that person. You, The verse says what love is strong as death, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you're seeking. It's It's kind of all consuming. And I was reflecting on whether we have that kind of intensity when it comes to loving our neighbor, especially mm-hmm. in matters of social justice. Mm-hmm. Like what if we translated that joy, but also that urgency, the like not being willing to give up fighting for our neighbor. And that was very inspirational yeah. to me. And there's, there's an element of oneness, right? With romantic love. And what mm-hmm. if we 
we saw ourselves as being connected to each other, that That if things are not right for you, then that means they're also not right for me, right? I'm personally, Mm -hmm. like, there's this oneness so that I, I can't ignore when things aren't right for someone mm-hmm. else. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, there is some of that not rightness in this book that even though there are these images of, of what reminded me of Eden, it's not utopia. That is correct. Um, in chapter five, the woman has a dream and her lover disappears and she runs through the streets looking for him and the city guards assault her. Uh-huh. They beat her. And then there is one line that says they took her shawl, which could mean they sexually assault her. Uh-huh. Um, and then in chapter eight, there's this strange little section that, seems like her brothers are debating what she should and shouldn't do. Like her brothers are trying to decide what it's okay for her to do with her body or Mm -hmm. allow to happen with her body. Mm -hmm. Um, So we still, even even though we've got this liberated woman in the story, there's, there's still that underneath it. Mm-hmm. Man, good, good on her though. That image of like running through the streets to find someone you love, like that is that is an intense kind of love, and I think radical. If I may yeah. use the uh, sermon title, I was I was also interested in something that she said about like the idea of love calling us beyond the boundaries of our comfort zones too. that. Like Mm -hmm. if, if we are continuously searching, then real love calls us beyond that initial discomfort. And then once we get out there, if it's, if you're moving from a place of real love to real love, what you find beyond your comfort zone is actually more peace and more love, right? So on a personal level, when Zach and I first started dating, um, we had to get over where our comfort zone boundaries were and it made us grow as people. So for me, that was um, being okay with silence in conversation. (laughs) (laughs) I'll never forget it was one of our first dates and we got stuck in traffic and I was just trying to fill the silence. And he very kindly told me like, Kelly, it's okay. We can like sit quietly together. (laughs) But in return, um, I pulled him out of his comfort zone at a family wedding where he had never danced, let alone dance, gone dancing in a room of strangers. Like, deep discomfort but he was able to follow me out to the dance floor of this family wedding and dance with me and now he dances with me at all the weddings and (laughs) I'm more comfortable with silence but like if you love somebody you follow them beyond where the edge of your comfort Mm -hmm. zone is 
and you grow because of it. And I think that that can also translate really well to having difficult conversations with like white friends and family members about Black Lives Matter right now and speaking speaking to our sphere of influence. It could be really uncomfortable at first, but it is the work of actually loving our neighbor. And once we get out there, it's going to help us grow so that we can love our neighbor better. That's really a great way of looking at that. When we talk about white discomfort in addressing racism with our white family or peers or standing up to homophobia, that that we often center our discomfort, right? And people choose to say nothing mm-hmm. because it will be uncomfortable. And that's really a beautiful way of looking at that, Kelly, that that our love, right, our love for others pulls us to that place of discomfort. And therefore, it is unloving to be unwilling to go there for the sake Radical of others. love means yes, chasing, yes. going out and chasing it down. Even if it's risky or dangerous. Mm-hmm. And I also think having, having a foundation of love to start with helps you mm-hmm. to push into the discomfort. Um, one of my mentors at one point, like she has done incredible work in my field and often pushing in particular like feminist concepts through a field that was not ready for feminist concepts in a lot of ways, maybe still isn't. Um, but I asked her one day, like, what lets you do this? Like what helps you to keep going out there and doing the hard work year after year? Cause she's done it for centuries, not centuries. <laughs> She is a thousand years old. She's immortal. Decades. Spoiler alert. Decades. Uh, she is a magician. Um, a wizard. Um, but she's done this for decades. And uh, the answer that she gave me was that she was loved at home. And so she felt she could do anything. And I just thought, like, wow. Like, to know that, like, her secret sauce was love. Like, and that's what made her able to just be this, like, this pioneer woman in my field is that she started with love. And I think um, the more that I, the more that I feel like I can articulate the love that I have in my life, and especially kind of a very broad, complicated view of, like, what it means to be a person who feels loved. When you feel confident that you are loved how willing you are to put yourself out there, I think grows quite a bit. Mm -hmm. Um, Because like, if you already have those core people that love you with this like aggressive in the streets love, then it doesn't matter, you know, what, what your brothers are saying or whatever, not Mm -hmm. necessarily brothers. Like you can put yourself out there in a different kind of way, I think. Yeah. Um, You know, you talked about starting out with that she this friend felt loved at home. Even in this book of the Bible, there is one section of it that goes back to when the male lover is born. Like they go to the tree where his mother mm-hmm. was in labor and where he was born. And that so, was weird. Yeah, that is weird. But <laughs> there it, may be a metaphor. It, it, I think, can say something about how these different types of love can build on each other. Right. And that having a foundation of yes. love can shape and impact our whole lives. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and then unfortunately, that also means that a, a lack of love can do that same thing and become something to overcome in order to experience true love. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what the world needs now is radical love. Yeah. Where do we see that kind of love? She gives us a few examples of things that, like, she says things like today, putting on your mask. Like, that's radical love. And that seems so simple, right? But we we are in a culture where there's enough complexity to where wearing a mask in public for the love of others is considered radical. Um, where else do we see radical love or need radical love? I like to ask easy questions. I was thinking about how. <laughs> so the directive of Jesus is to love your neighbor as yourself, right? Mm-hmm. So you can't truly love your neighbor well until you love yourself well. And that is. I think one way that this is showing up in my personal practice, because I said I was going to bring in the Enneagram, Enneagram four here. Um, Four also. I'm constantly thinking that there's something missing from my sense of self, right? Somewhere along the way I picked up that there's something missing about me. And so part of my spiritual practice is realizing that I am already loved, already forgiven, Um, that God is already with me and that's not going to change. And to try to practice kind thoughts about myself even so that I am better able to love my neighbor. And it seems, it seems basic, but it's a lot harder in times of stress to change your thought patterns like that. But that is part of the radical love is being committed to being the best version of me mm-hmm. so that then I have love to outpour to other people as well. You know, that's so interesting because so in January, I got this book, Radical Compassion, and I was like mm. so ready for it. Like, yes, I'm going to learn how to be just such an amazingly compassionate person. And then I was like, you know what? This book is like a bait and switch. It's all about compassion for me. Ooh. Mm. Um, but it turns out that's exactly <laughs> what I needed. Um, but yep. yeah, so I... And maybe that's because I am also an Enneagram 4. Um, so I'm, I've got to do that same self-love work. Um, I'm looking now at Robin, my friend, the Enneagram 1. The Enneagram 1, yeah. which means that I have a, have a hard time admitting that love does not have to be earned. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. That I don't have to be good enough in order to be loved. And so, or projecting that onto other people, right? Yeah. I have to acknowledge, I have to work at self-love in, in acknowledging to myself and admitting that I'm loved just the way I am, like screw ups mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. all. And then love others in a way that is not conditioned on being earned or right. merit, right? Just loving mm-hmm. others just because Mm -hmm. they are Mm -hmm. um 
And maybe that's a cool thing that Song of Songs kind of does. Like, there's not a lot here that's transactional. Like, they are just pumped about each other because they exist. Mm -hmm. Like, did I miss the transactional? There's no... Kelly, there was no sewing. There was <laughs> no getting there was up no early. Tur- there was no, like, nope, like, not a single pot of coffee was made, like, and yet they loved each other. It's interesting. It's just, like, just delighting in people for who they are. Mm, mm-hmm. Exactly as they are. Them. Yeah. Yeah. Where they are. That. That is very radical, I find, in terms of having conversations with people who are not at the same place I am in terms of loving your neighbor through anti-racism or through uh, inclusive theology. Actually, yeah, I'm curious what you two think about how do you radically love somebody who you can see is maybe holding beliefs that hurt other people that you love what does the radical love look like in that that place of tension because I, I think a lot of us are probably going into that as we approach November yeah oh man that's hard you know what radical, radical love stuff that's that's where it really gets hard right that's right? where it gets real because there's the there's it's- there's the one element of not saying something right is not loving to whoever is being talked about or oppressed or mistreated or disregarded. And another element of that, you know, there's the saying that people who are loved well, love well. Hmm. Right. And so another element of that is I, don't you think that most of the people who have those kind of closed off, not open feelings towards people who are different, othering people. Don't you think that those people probably are struggling to love themselves? For sure. Uh I've found some ties to a kind of theology that sees God as transactional as well. Yeah is that there seems to be a consistency. And this is also from my like random interactions on Twitter, right? Mm -hmm. That a lot of the times the people who are like most set on being against LGBTQ inclusion in the church, it's the example that I'm usually working with, see God as very punitive. And if we Mm -hmm. don't follow... On the one hand, it's like Jesus saves, yes, but also apparently we need to do these things in order for God to love us. And if that's your mindset, if you serve an angry God, going to become an angry Christian, you know? Right. And how much, how loving can, can God be if God needs retribution? Yeah. Right? Yeah. And then that helps me try to cultivate a little empathy actually because like we've all believed crappy things we've all had bad theology Mm -hmm. and we've all been at a place where the resources might have been out there and we weren't actually learning or we weren't taking advantage to to do better and god still loves that homophobic person who said mean things to me on twitter 
I may be able to love them imperfectly, but like that's the standard that God loves full stop. So if I genuinely believe in a loving God first and foremost, then that transforms how I interact. It's just sometimes hard for me to find out where the line is between speaking up and pushing too hard, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. And I, I think that, that motivation is the key in there, right? Mm-hmm. Because if you have self-love, you, you do not allow someone to be abusive towards you, right? You don't have to let, you don't have to sit back and be the meek and mild, sheepish, submissive woman when homophobic trolls come at you on Twitter. Uh Exactly. Right? That that's that's not having self-love. So I, I, for me, I think the the key issue is motivation. So, and when Mm. I am responding to someone who hurts me or is unloving towards me, is my motivation retribution and to smack them back? And honestly, lots of times it is. Or is my motivation to speak truth and the hope that it can help this person become more whole? Um, I love that. And me me as well, Retribution or is it truth speaking? Yeah. Yeah. Right? Because we we can say hard things. Mm -hmm in love and i and i i I kind of hate even saying that phrase because i know that (laughs) right homophobe homophobic christians use that phrase all the time right i'm going to speak truth in love so i'm going to tell you why you're an abomination right that's not loving you don't lovingly tell someone that um Mm -hmm. so what what are my motivations and how does that shape what i choose to say well sometimes maybe Go ahead, Jerry. And and sometimes it's not all necessarily what we end up saying. Like, I think, Kelly, like you were saying, um, that you might get to a point where you can love them imperfectly. And I think what I'm thinking about is like, well, yeah, so what's happening? Like, what's the motivation for loving someone? And sometimes I think the motivation to come to a place where you can offer something that resembles love uh, to a person is to not poison yourself, right? Mm-hmm. To not let that, um, you know, like they're like in meta meditation, for example, like you, you might work up to being able to wish someone is well, right? Like to be able to mm-hmm. say, mm-hmm. like to, to push it outside of yourself. So you're not taking the poison of that tension or that conflict into yourself and sort of push it outside of you and say, may they be happy, may they be well, instead of allowing the toxicity of wishing them harm to stay within you. Because then, like, you struggle with the ability to love yourself and to keep being a person of love, like, push it out of you and say, may they be happy, may they be well, far, far away from me, but may they... (laughs) Yeah, there's that balance there, right? Like I, if someone does something horrible, right? I, I may come to a place where I can love that person enough to not to desire their demise, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) What an achievement that sometimes is. And I can hopefully get to a place where I want them to be well. Mm-hmm. Or I may want them to be at peace. 
but I can also love myself enough or my family or whoever, my friendships to set boundaries that also say, I'm not going to allow you to cross this and become destructive towards others. Right. Right. That I, I'm choosing not to be destructive towards you, but I'm also setting a boundaries to not allow you to be destructive to me, to me or to, to someone else. Right. Cause you're also wishing it. Like you're also hoping for your own wellness and your own happiness. And if, if you are giving up your own or your community's wellness for whatever, for this one individual who is reigning toxic within your community, then, you know, I, if, sometimes having boundaries like is the most loving thing you can do for the most people. And the act of radical love takes it beyond the self and mm-hmm. my own community and brings that into the larger community, right? Those that may not be in my little pocket. They mm-hmm. still deserve that same kind of act of love that is mm-hmm. seeking your well-being and flourishing. Um, so it's it's ex- expanding that circle, mm-hmm. right? Even more and more and more. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, ideally, no one's on the outside anymore, right? No one's... Right. The other. Everyone's at the feast. Mm-hmm. Reverend McQueen Simmons mentioned when she first was going through like what how do we get radical love she started with forgiveness which like really resonates with the can't love your neighbor until you love your you can't love your neighbor well until you love yourself well right Uh and it made me think of um yeah yes so i was listening to a podcast the other day called a tiny revolution hosted by kevin miguel garcia who is also the author of bad theology kills And they were interviewing Jamie Lee Finch, who does a lot of trauma recovery work. And Jamie described forgiveness as like a a table after a feast that had a bunch of stuff post-dinner, dishes hadn't been cleared yet. And you are compelled to clean up everybody else's mess, to take the plates and wash them, to get the crumbs, to to pick away at it. But forgiveness means you take your hand and your arm and you swipe the table clean Mm. and swipe everything away and you stop worrying about trying to clean it up and instead let it go. And that that metaphor blew my mind Mm -hmm. because I think I have a tendency to obsess over a conversation or a relationship and how do I be more loving here and yeah, to, to get to radical love, maybe step one is forgiveness. And that forgiveness means saying, I personally don't need to heal and fix and clean everything. This is not my problem. This is now God's problem. Mm-hmm. I, you know, there's part of me that's like listening to you talk, Kelly, and I'm like, yep, that's an Enneagram four thing. Like we're going <laughs> to ruminate on our feels. I'm with you. Um, I think Jamie might be an eight though. Yeah. They might be two eights, but I I actually wrote that as one of my notes from listening to the sermon. It made me think of that image specifically. Yeah. Yeah. Clearing it and starting fresh is hard, though. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You have to give up control a little bit. Yikes. 
Yikes, right? Yikes. Yeah. But it wouldn't be called radical mm. if it was easy, if it was every day, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How did y'all feel about her saying, the headlines will turn around for good? I had like a gut opposite reaction to that, actually. Like, I didn't believe her. And I think that that's something that I could work on. <laughs> I mean, that's that's the kingdom of God, right? When the headlines have turned around forever. And that's mm-hmm. what we're striving for. Um, and if there's anything that can do it, it's radical love, right? Mm-hmm. That's, the, that's the only hope we've got. And that's... I think, Kelly, like you and I have talked about Austin Channing Brown's Standing on the Shadow of Hope. We talked about it mm-hmm. two podcasts ago. I think it's it's there again and again and again. It's, yeah, like maybe maybe you don't have hope for that, but maybe there's a shadow. Hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. Well, this has been a great conversation. There's so much to talk about regarding radical love. And I think we did a pretty good job of keeping a tame conversation (laughs) of the raciest book of the Bible. Good job, team. Uh, I think I'm going to look for more like Song of Solomon-esque women, people to follow, like people who are doing that. I'm very inspired by other people's stories. So like that may be a way to keep hope is the mm. let's find who else is doing this and be inspired by their life. Yeah, that's uh my my that same mentor calls this pathing where you find one rock star person that's doing the work and they lead you to the next person and uh, that's one of the way- reasons on the show notes for this podcast. We always try to list everybody yeah. we referenced. Um, so I hope listeners, and maybe this is just because I'm an academic nerd, um, I hope listeners will look at those and be able to do some of that work too. Like see who else is, right? Where where does the conversation take you? Who who might you discover? Right, right. I was, um, I was doing some writing this week, actually, that was about that. That's about... Um, actually Robin and how every time I have lunch with Robin I walk away with a reading list and that's why not that I love Robin in a transactional way sure but (laughs) you love me for my reading my my library to me um I love Robin and she gives me an excellent reading list and so I try to work some of that into our podcast discussions too yeah cool any last words on Song of Solomon? Radical love. Go read it. Giving it, it another it. chance. Yeah. Giving it another yeah. chance here. Yeah. Find your empowering lady playlist and gear that up and read that book. It is, I think it's worth returning to. I think so. Yeah. And then find something you love enough to run through the streets to yeah. chase after it. Oh, isn't that a great thing to think about? Like, what do you love enough to Mm -hmm. run in the streets after? Oh, I love that. I won't make y'all name anything, but hopefully we all have it. Cool. Well, thanks, Kelly, for joining us. Yes, thank you, Kelly. Thank you for having me and letting me nerd out about theology. That's one of my favorite things. Yes, yeah. 
Thanks again, Robin, for Thank sitting you. with us. And we still have Paul Fitzgerald behind the soundboard. Woohoo! So the muted man sitting listening to three women <laughs> talk about love and being awesome while doing it. So cool. Thanks, y'all. This podcast is produced by Sherry Spiegel, Paul Fitzgerald, and This Most Unbelievable Life. For more information, please check us out at www.thismostunbelievablelife.com. <laughs>